Hello, and welcome to Breaking Ground, Real Estate Insights from Eisner Amper. I'm your host today, Darren Griffith, a director at Eisner Amper. And with us today is Michael Cohen, managing partner at Opus North Real Estate. Opus North specializes in acquisition and management of multifamily properties in the U.S. During today's episode, we'll be discussing the challenges of today's environment for GPs and LPs, as well as investment strategies and how they have been impacted. Michael, thank you again for joining me today for today's podcast. It's my pleasure, Darren. Thanks for having me. No problem. No problem. So obviously, you know, COVID has had a tremendous impact on investors. You know, a lot of the people that I talk to have been playing defense and obviously there are also some opportunities that are arising. So in what you what you guys are doing at Opus North, what steps have you taken to one, protect your portfolio and two, what opportunities do you see arising in the next few months? Sure. So we've focus pretty in depth across our portfolio on managing occupancy and cash flow and, and making sure that we're keeping heads in beds. The majority of our portfolio is, is garden style multifamily. And as opposed to pushing rents and looking to hold out for every last time, we've been very, very, very focused on keeping people in place, signing renewals where we're able to, making sure that our residents are happy and also having full, open, and transparent conversations with our partners, our lenders, and all our other stakeholders to let them know, you know what's going on and not hide from the truth and make sure that we, our balance sheets are well positioned to ride through this cycle and the next cycle to come. And we've done that by building additional reserves at properties, holding back you know, extra cash on a monthly basis. And, and then I would say that We've, we've been able to ride out the storm pretty well because we are not too levered or not over levered anywhere. And that's, that has definitely served us very well through this economic cycle. Great. And then I guess the, the second part of that question is, have you seen any opportunities or when do you see some opportunities arising that you might be able to take, take advantage of on the, on the acquisition side of the, of the business? Sure. So we're not, we're not yet seeing the steel deals that I think a lot of folks in our business are looking for and, and hoping that they're going to find. And we've seen discounts anywhere from 2 to 5% for well-located products in you know, high-growth secondary markets, which is where we focus the most of our time. We've seen some discounts a little bit higher than that, but those tend to be in you know, more tertiary locations. And I think there's a couple of competing factors out there that are contributing to that, one being that the debt markets are pricing so cheap right now that it's able it's enabling people to buy deals at tighter cap rates so oftentimes we're actually seeing deals pricing you know even north of where they were pricing pre-covid on a cap rate basis and you know we're not we're not seeing the steel deals yet but i think that real estate takes longer you know to to kind of process all of the information that's out there and we do believe there are going to be more opportunities down the road but we also believe that people are better capitalized now than they were in 2008. And we think that that is contributing to a lot of people having stronger balance sheets and being in better position to ride through the cycle, which in turn is not creating a lot of fire sale opportunities out of the market. 100% agree with what you're saying. When we talk about the, the beginning part of COVID-19 and when we were trying to digest everything back in April, I think a lot of GPs were, were saying that 
you know, new investors and deal origination as a part of their business was most affected by the pandemic. But three months later, are you seeing those same issues? I know you talked to cash flow and I know you talked to a much better overall financial position, whether it's the debt or equity markets. Are you seeing those things as severe? I'll let you kind of speak to that. And then also on the, on the back end of that, is it possible to raise and deploy capital effectively in the era of social distancing? I'm sure your acquisition processes are kind of taking a little bit of a different form at this point. Yeah, so I think it's harder to get deals to stick today. I think that um, to get things through investment committees are requiring a lot more check the box than they did previously. I think if there were seven out of 10 boxes that an investor had to check previously, there's probably nine to nine and a half boxes that they have to check to get comfortable with a deal today. I think we've also seen that there are some very large institutional equity providers in our business that have you know, are not deploying as much capital in, in garden style multi as they were prior, and maybe they're rotating into other sectors. So I think we're seeing, a, you know, that as well. But there are, you know, good opportunities. I mean, earlier today, right before we got on this podcast, we just signed a contract to buy a townhome deal in Raleigh. Right. And, you know, that was or is an opportunity that, you know, we were able to find off market and, put together that we feel really good about. And we think the downside protection is really good. And we think the fundamentals are good. And we think the growth story is good. Is our underwriting more stringent today? Definitely. But we do think there are opportunities out there. There's just not as many. I think you have to work harder than ever to find them. And then, you know, even when you do find them today, going from finding them to closing them, there's just, you know, more moving parts with the geopolitical climate and the economic climate and and coronavirus and all, all the other competing factors that are that are making you think about additional things that you didn't necessarily think as hard about 15 weeks ago. Of course, of course. And and obviously the whole acquisition aspect of things and you being under contract with that deal in, in Raleigh leads to the next question, which you know we didn't talk about beforehand, but kind of came up in the sense that how are you changing your underwriting in order to account for COVID? Are you when you're modeling out these deals, are you are you increasing your vacancy rate? Are you are you dropping down your growth rate? How are you, you and your firm, or if you can give me some insight into that, uh, how you guys are going about doing, trying to underwrite what the future might look like? Sure. So we've definitely dialed back our rent growth significantly. We're we're modeling zero to negative rent growth in the first year. We're maybe maybe modeling zero or one percent in the second year, and then we're we're starting to grow back to. 2% thereafter. And we think the days of 3% rent growth are are over for now. We think those are going to be pretty tough to achieve. We're also extremely sensitive to major value add execution right now. The days of pumping in $10,000 a unit and automatically getting $175 rent premium are, are, are most likely over. We do believe there could be diamonds in the rough, but we think those are very, very, very difficult to find today. And, and often we're we're finding that even if you can find those deals, when we run our downside scenarios, if we don't hit our value add, the returns are are really, really, really weak. And yeah. we don't think they're solid on a risk-adjusted basis. So we're definitely a lot more conservative. But I do think that there are some people out there that if you're just going to take the approach, you're going to be conservative for, for the next you know five to seven years out. Well, then you're never going to be able to find a deal that works and you're never going to be able to make a deal work. So there's definitely still risk taking involved, but mm -hmm. we believe that it's calculated risk and we're 
we're focusing our acquisitions in locations that we believe are as close to bulletproof as possible and lo in locations that are well diversified, have median household incomes in excess of $70,000 a year. There's no one in sector that makes up more than 20% of the economy. There's a heavy presence of education, technology, medicine, you know, industries that we believe are gonna be a going concern on the other side of COVID. No, that's, that's great, that's great. Now, you know, before on one of the prior questions, you kind of touched on, you know, some of the markets that you look to invest in, maybe your secondary or tertiary markets. You know, I think there's, you know, there's been a lot of movement and you can give me your perspective on it as well. A lot of movement outside of some of your primary or more densely populated areas. Now that there's been some movement towards secondary and tertiary cities, have more GPs and more LPs been kind of targeting those areas a little bit more? Have they driven up competition? And should the big city investors be worried? And are there ways to kind of mitigate that risk? I think we're definitely seeing a significant amount of capital chase into secondary and tertiary markets because everyone at the end of the day is is looking to generate yield. Now, how you know how much yield is is always, I guess, the million or you know million dollar question. But we're, we're definitely seeing you know, more competition than ever, I believe, in these secondary markets as, as the proof is in the pudding that people are leaving gateway cities and that the cost of living is is better in these secondary markets. Although I do think there is a distinction between secondary and tertiary. Mm -hmm. I think the really strong secondary markets are attracting, you know, very, very, very large institutional players who are putting hundreds of millions of dollars to work in, in individual sub-markets sometimes we see. But I, I do think as you go more tertiary outside what I call the major secondary markets, i.e. the Atlantas, the Charlottes, the Raleigh's, the Orlando's, the, those of the world, I, as you go to some of the smaller towns, I, I think you have to be really cautious about where you're investing today, how many people are unemployed there, do industries there make a comeback from COVID, is the major industry there something that can sustain more pain from COVID because no one really knows how long this is going to last and when we're going to have a vaccine. And, and what that future looks like. So we are very cautious about going to two tertiary locations where the job base we don't believe is strong enough to sustain, you know, another year of economic pain. Or maybe, you know, some people are going to survive, but maybe our, you know, occupancy at these buildings are going to go to 80%. And, and considering that multifamily has been trading at a pretty tight cap rate across the country, oftentimes sub five cap in most good locations today, uh, there's not a ton of room to, to to lose a large portion of your rent roll or not be able to collect uh, rent. The margins are tight when you're talking about those valuations, of course. So I agree with you. I think those are those tertiary markets are going to be. If you don't understand those very well, it's not. It's definitely not a place to kind of go in there and start something new, if that makes any sense. There can be unique opportunities in tertiary markets. We just feel that you have to really get paid to go there. So, you know, if we're solving for 12 to 13 IRRs and six to 7% on our cash and what I refer to as major secondary markets, you know, we believe that you have to get paid another 300 to 400 basis points to yep. go to these tertiary markets. And we get very scared off when pricing in the tertiary market is the same as buying in Core Charlotte or Core Raleigh. So, Mike, distressed funds are a popular strategy that LPs are targeting. Do you think a run on distressed assets is inevitable? And how far away are we before the market starts to heat up? Have you seen more on the debt or equity side being made available? So, I, I think there are going to be opportunities. I just don't think we're seeing them yet. I think there are a number of 
bridge lenders who are looking for these opportunities and very large institutional players who are raising capital to chase after these. The question ultimately will be is how long does it take for these opportunities to surface? And I alluded to before that I think people are better capitalized today than they were in 2008. And based off what we're seeing to date, I'm not convinced that there are going to be a you know, an abundance of these opportunities out there. But I think that there are definitely groups that are going to be very well positioned to chase them and, and people who made big money in the space in 08 and understand the nuances of taking on a distressed project will be very well positioned to do it again here. Although I'm not convinced that the discounts will be as big as they, they were at that time. However, if COVID continues on and unemployment benefits slow and stimulus slows, that could definitely be a big tailwind for distressed investors. No, that that makes sense. Now, now, kind of coming down to sort of the end, you know, a big play of what I've seen is is a lot of what COVID has done, not just in real estate, but in, in other uh, arenas as well, has accelerated a lot of things. And I, I've seen a lot of people, you know, looking more and more into some level of technology. And technology can be used to keep in touch with your investors, could be to keep in touch with your your tenants, and it also could be on a, on an operational sense. What what kind of technology have you seen out there or have you have you and your firm, Opus North, been implementing any technologies to help you with, you know, some level of efficiency, whether it's communication or operational efficiencies? We use a variety of technology platforms, either internally or through our management companies. So I think there's, you know, I'm just going to talk broadly about this. I think there's a number of good platforms out there. And I think that speed and efficiency and being able to measure performance are more important than ever in a real time. And our management companies have been very, very, very good at this and keeping track of data real time and looking at trends on a T3, a T12, you know, in a forward looking basis. And we rely on that trend data to make decisions. And also we rely on our portfolio data to help us make judgments on what we believe trends are going to look like in new acquisitions. Back to my point before, you know, it's very easy to sit behind your model and say you're just going to grow rents 3% a year. But meanwhile, if we own in that market and we own 1,000 units or 1,500 units in that market and we see that, well, you know, we're not growing rents at 3% at, at any of our at any of our buildings, well, it's not really prudent to underwrite that 3% market rent growth anymore. Right. And so I would say that we rely very, very, very heavily on the real-time data that our management partners provide to us and that we use to feed, you know, internal decision-making. And I think that it's more important than ever. And then when you combine that with the fact that all of these deals trade at very tight cap rates, the, the ability to take data and make decisions, you know, off of it and have real-time insight it's just incredibly valuable. I think we're living in a world where if you're looking at data that's three months old and you're not making the use of all the technology that, that's out there that can feed you that real-time information, you're just going to be completely behind the eight ball. 100%. Well, Michael, I, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to share this valuable information with us. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to Breaking Ground. Join us for our next podcast episode or visit eisneramper.com backslash RE for more real estate news. Thank you.